Well, it is an honor to be with you today, Ridgecrest Baptist Church. I love and appreciate your pastor so much. And thank God for what this church does, not only in all the mission functions that this church operates, but also in this church's gifts to the cooperative program of the Southern Baptist Convention. I don't know if you know this or not, but that's how Southern Baptists primarily do missions. They uh, cooperatively partner with other Southern Baptist churches. And so this church, when the offering is taken up in just a little while, uh, will give money and some of that money will be forwarded on to the Southern Baptist Convention. That will help fund a missionary force that's currently at 4,700, give or take a few, all over the world, proclaiming the good news of Jesus Christ and planting churches. Also, is, uh, that money also helps support Church plants in North America, Canada, the United States, and in Mexico. Of course, with all that's going on in Mexico today, we do need to be praying about all the storm damage that has been there. And part of uh, our North American Mission Board sends disaster relief uh, help there. So uh, you're, you are actually having a part in that. And then, of course, uh, you give money to help support our Southern Baptist seminaries, one of which is Southwestern Baptist Theological Seminary where I teach. And you're helping students be able to get an affordable education so that they can be the next pastors, missionaries, youth ministers, music ministers in churches all across the nation. So thank you so much for your gifts to the cooperative program. And I'm so excited when Pastor Matt told me about the opportunity that you all have of focusing on missions this week. And so my assignment this morning is to bring you a message related to missions. If you've got your Bible, would you please open it to the book of Jonah? Some of you brought tablets, so either turn to or turn on to Jonah, the book of Jonah. It's nestled right there in between everybody's favorite Old Testament book, Obadiah, and the other one, Micah. And so you just find your favorite Old Testament book there, one of the two, Obadiah or Micah. And right there, sandwiched in between, is the book of Jonah. And so this morning, I want us to look at the book of Jonah. And the title of my message this morning is... What's eating Jonah? <laughs> and is it eating you? <laughs> what is eating Jonah? And is it eating you? Now, you already know, and I've already got, gotten some uh, response here. What eats Jonah? The great fish, that's right. But I will submit to you, and although I do believe that a literal large fish swallowed Jonah, it's not metaphor, it's not allegory, it's not symbolic, it really did happen. I think there's something bigger than a big fish that eats Jonah in the book of Jonah. And I believe, although I don't pretend or, or uh, claim to know what's going on in anyone's heart, but I think the same thing that's eating Jonah, or the ate Jonah, is also eating a number of you here today. And so let's look and see what the Word of God says about really what is eating Jonah. And it applied to our lives is what was eating Jonah also eating us. Many of you are all too familiar with the Attacks against the Word of God. Many people saying that it's just a storybook. It's just a moral book. It's good for faith and practice, but it's not true, some people have said. And to those people, I would say, that was not true what you said. This is the inspired, inerrant, fully reliable Word of God. But in the Bible, not only do people attack the Bible, but probably no book in the Bible has been more attacked in the Word of God for not being true than the book of Jonah. 
Some people will dismiss it saying that who in the world has ever swallowed or been swallowed by a fish? We swallow fish. We have fish fries. We, we swallow fish. They don't swallow us. But I'm here to tell you that the God of the universe that made everything that we see, well, how hard is it for him to make a fish to swallow a man? It's not hard at all. In fact, I'm reminded of a story by Dr. David Jeremiah, a famous radio preacher, one of my favorites. And he was telling the story one time about a young son who was getting ready to go to college, the son and his father. And right before the son went to the secular college, just right down uh, you know, a few hours from the house, the young son was called into the dad's study by uh, his dad. And he said, son, you and I have read the Bible Weekly, daily, we have prayed together weekly, daily. And son, I want you to know how proud I am of you as my son. But I'm even more proud of the fact that you're one of God's sons because you are committed to the word of God and to prayer. And son, I've got to be honest with you. I'm very uncomfortable sending you off to the secular school. You and I have already talked about what they believe at that school. They don't believe that the Bible is the Word of God. And Son, I don't want you to get confused. Son, I don't want you to get mesmerized by those teachers down there that want to talk in a way that is not positive towards the Word of God. And he said, Son, really what I'm trying to say is I don't want you to lose Jonah out of your Bible. The young son looked to his dad, getting ready to go off to college, and he said, Dad, you don't have to worry about that. My faith is sure in the Scriptures. Jonah will be in my Bible when I come back for Christmas. And off the son went to college. First semester as a freshman. About Christmas time, school let out, and the young boy came back home. And before he could even get in the door, before his dad hugged him or said, Son, how are you doing? Or anything else, he said, Son, I want to see you in the study. And so they went back to the study. And as they went into the study, the, the dad sat down and the young boy sat down. And, and basically, without even saying anything else, the dad looked into his son's eyes deeply. And he said, Son... Do you still believe the Bible? Son, is Jonah still in your Bible? And the young boy said, Dad, with a smile on his face, I believe the Bible and I have the book of Jonah in my Bible more than it's ever been in my life. Yes, I've been attacked, but those attacks have made me more sure in the Bible and in the truth and veracity of even the book of Jonah. The dad smiled, and in the middle of the dad's smiling, the son said, But Dad... Although Jonah's in my Bible, I don't know that he's in your Bible. To which the dad's face began to drop. And he scratched his head and he said, what are you talking about, son? I'm not the one that went off to college. You were. I'm not the one whose faith was attacked. Yours was. And so the young son said, dad, give me your Bible. And he took the Bible off of the shelf that they had been, he read and he flipped to that place in the book of Jonah. Right in between Obadiah and Micah where Jonah should have been. And guess what was not in the Bible? Jonah. The the father said, what in the world? What's been going on? What happened here? And he said, Dad, I must admit to you. Right before I left for college, I took a pair of scissors. And by the way, children, do not do this to mom and daddy's Bible. I took the scissors where Jonah was and I actually cut Jonah out of your Bible. And he said, Dad, for over a semester, you've been worried about me losing Jonah out of my Bible. And it's been gone in your Bible the whole time. And he said, Dad, which is more 
serious to lose the book of Jonah? To lose it by education or to lose it by mere neglect? I believe that it's good for us to know and not neglect the book of Jonah. I know about a year ago, you'll remember all the messages that the pastor brought, but Pastor Matt preached on the book of Jonah. But I believe it's good for us to be reminded and not neglect the message of the book of Jonah. And so if you would please follow along with me the text. I cannot reach, uh, read every single scripture that's in the book today. But I do want to go over a lot of the highlights. And I want us to really get at the one issue which I think is the main issue in the whole book of Jonah. What is eating Jonah? And is it eating you? In the book of Jonah, we're just going to kind of read through. I'll explain a little bit. But I want you to notice a few things. First of all, really really early on in the very first chapter, Jonah is going to pr- profess that God owns him, that he belongs to God. A little later on, you're going to see that he also proclaims orthodoxy. That's truth about the scriptures, truth about God. He's going to proclaim God's truth. A little later on, he's actually going to practice obedience. Now, he doesn't get it right the first time, but the second time the Lord comes to him, he gets it right and he goes to Nineveh to preach what God has him to preach. So he professes to be owned by God. He proclaims orthodoxy about God. He practices obedience to God like many of us. But something's eating Jonah. And it's eating some of you too. Follow with me along the text. Jonah 1 verse 1. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah. Jonah. It's the Hebrew word for John. Some of you have heard of John the Baptist or John the Apostle. Well, John the Apostle, John the Baptist. Their name in Hebrew is Jonah. Jonah. It came to Jonah the son of Amittai, the dove, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh. Where was Nineveh? You may not find it there in your maps in the back of your Bible. But Nineveh was a chief city in Assyria. And in there, it was located and nestled to the east of the Tigris River. About 550 miles northeast of Samaria. A large city indeed. God says, go and cry out against Nineveh, that great city. For their wickedness has come up against me. The wickedness of that great city, almost like a judge, the court case had come up before God. And he was going to go and have his prophet pronounce judgment against the wickedness of the Ninevites. But the Bible says in verse 3, But Jonah arose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. You know, many of us have done that very same thing. The word of the Lord came to us and told us to do one thing, and yet we did the other. Again, Nineveh is in the east, the northeast of Samaria, 550 miles. And when Jonah is told by God to go and preach and cry against it, instead of going east, Jonah heads to the west. And in the west, he goes 35 miles to Joppa, the northern-day Tel Aviv in Israel. The Bible says he goes there. And look at why he goes. He goes there to flee the presence of the Lord. Let me ask you a question this morning, church. Is there anywhere you can go and flee God's presence? 
Can you go to the skies and into space and flee from God and not be where He is? Can you go on the seas and find a place on the seas where God is? Can you climb a mountain or go into a valley or even go down into the depths of the earth and not find God? Friends, God is everywhere. Jonah actually knows this in verse 9. He's going to say, I am a Hebrew and I worship the God who made the heavens and the earth and everything that's in them. He knew that God was everywhere. But disobedience to God has a way of making us spiritually ignorant, doesn't it? (laughs) You know, some of you have heard the call of God To do something specific. And you are going in the very different direction. You're trying to run from the presence of God because you think the further I get away from what God is calling me to do, the less I'll hear His voice. And that's exactly what happens with Jonah. The Bible says he gets on a ship in Joppa. He pays the fare, verse 3. He goes down into the ship and he goes with them to Tarshish. Now, where is Tarshish? We really don't know. Some believe, the majority of scholars believe it's probably to modern-day Spain. Others believe it's a port city off of Africa. There's still yet others that have evidence that it may have been to the New World. But wherever it was, it was not to Nineveh. It was in the very opposite direction. And the Bible says, as soon as the boat gets on the sea, verse 4, the Lord sends out a great wind on the sea, and there was a mighty tempest on the sea, so that the ship was about to be broken up, and the mariners, the Phoenician sailors that were sailing that boat, the Bible says they were afraid. Now, I am the grandson of a Navy sailor. Who fought in World War II. And so I, myself, you can look at me and see my physique is not such of a Navy man. but Or a seaman in any way. But nevertheless, it's in my blood. And so some of you served in the Navy. And you know how tough an old seaman can be. These mariners had seen all kinds of storms before. But the Bible says this is a different kind of storm. And it is because God sends it. And the mariners were afraid. They're crying out for their gods. They're, they're, they're crying out, please save us. And the Bible says in verse number 5 that Jonah had gone down into the lowest parts of the ship. He lay down and he was fast asleep. That's what disobedience does to us. It causes a spiritual stupor when we try to move away from the presence of God, which we can't do anyway. The Bible says in the next verse that the captain, verse 6, the captain comes down and he sees Jonah sleeping there. They're throwing things overboard to make the ship lighter. And they see the old prophet who's there sleeping. And the captain says, arise. What are you doing, sleeper? Call on your God. Maybe he will consider us that we may not perish. And so they bring him up and they see what he's doing and they're saying, what is wrong with you? And the Bible says that they begin to cast lots to see who was at fault for bringing this great storm. Whose God brought this storm against the ship? We don't cast lots today, but you may know it by picking the short straw. Y'all have heard of that before? That's kind of what happens. And So guess who gets the short straw in the story? Jonah. 
Jonah gets it, and in verse 9, the people come to him and say, uh, verse 8, what's your occupation? Who are you? Who do you serve? Which God do you serve? Which God is taking out his anger against us? And Jonah says, I am a Hebrew, and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. In that very statement, he says, I belong to God. I am one of God's people. I'm a Hebrew. I belong to God. Some of you are here today and you say, I belong to God through faith in Jesus Christ. And let me tell you, that's the only way you belong to God anyway. You don't put it on your national card. You don't check a box. Friends, the way we become owned or possessed by God Almighty is when we come to a point when we realize that when Jesus died on the cross, that was the only way. Your good works are not good enough. But Jesus dying on the cross, taking upon his, uh, himself the penalty of sin, which is death. He was put into the ground and three days later, by resurrection, power of the Holy Spirit, he was raised from the dead. The Bible says if you turn away from your sins, put your faith in Jesus Christ, and with your mouth confess Jesus as Lord, the Bible says you will be saved. That's another way of saying that you will be owned by God. Some of you are here and you know that you've received Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior. However, in a crowd this big, there's obviously someone or some groups of people that are here that have never done that. Let me just invite you today, if you've never done that, at the end of the service, in just a few moments, we're going to have some people that can talk to you about how you can make that decision. And you can say, I belong to God. But Jonah belonged to God. He said the right things about God. God made the heaven. He's the great creator. He made the sea and the dry land. And whenever, the Bible says, whenever they hear him say, I serve the Lord. Look at what it says in verse number 10. Then the men were what? Exceedingly afraid. You see, they were afraid by the storm. But when they hear the shock and terror of a, of a prophet of God who disobeys God, they're even more afraid. Because they realize they're going to lose their own lives. And so they say, what do we do to appease your God? Some of you here today are trying to appease God with your good works. With the money that you give. With the things that you do. But friendly, let me tell you something. That will not appease God. The only thing that appeases God is His Son, Jesus Christ. Who died on the cross for your sins, was buried and raised. Jesus appeases the wrath and anger of God. Nothing else. What do we do, Jonah? What will make your God happy? And Jonah says, well, listen, just throw me overboard in verse 12. Pick me up, throw me in the sea, and the sea will be calm for you. The Bible goes on to say in verses 13 and 14 that they don't want to be guilty of the blood of the prophet. And so they begin to throw more over sea, overboard. They begin to row all the more. But that the storm becomes even more tempestuous. And so finally, with no other option... The Bible says that they throw, verse 15, they picked up Jonah and threw him to the sea, and the sea ceased its raging. Jonah being swallowed by the sea became salvation, physical salvation for the sailors. Look at what the Bible says, verse 16. Then the men feared the Lord because the sea had stopped its raging. And they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and they took vows. Jonah being swallowed by the sea proved as salvation for the Phoenician sailors, the Gentile sailors, because they feared the Lord and they took vows. But you know, he didn't just stay there in the water and drown. 
Look at what the Bible says in verse 17. Now the Lord had prepared a great fish to swallow Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. If the church fathers are corrected, I would submit that they are, that the sea swallowing Jonah was salvation for the physical life of the sailors, then Jonah being swallowed by the well was salvation for his own physical life. Because he's in there for three days and three nights. I don't know if you can imagine or not, but can you imagine being in the worst storm on the sea that you can even imagine in your brain? Can you imagine the lightning and the rain and the clouds and the thunder and the waves and it's just going all crazy and all of a sudden... Jonah, you can just see him, he's pushed, maybe even backwards, pushed off of the deck of the ship into the sea. And the sea comes up with one big wave and almost as a hand pushes Jonah down into the water. And then as soon as the prophet goes into the water, everything becomes calm. But Jonah, with the force of the current, is going downward. And the sea is bumbling around him. And the seaweed is all over his head. And all of a sudden, whenever he's in that last moment, try holding your breath and try holding your breath without breathing again. And all of a sudden, you get a little antsy and nervous because you say, I've got to have a breath. And he's in that time. All of a sudden, in that moment, everything gets really dark. And all of a sudden, a large fish swallows Jonah. And there he is in the belly of a great fish. What would you do if God had sent a fish to swallow you? I don't know what you would have done, but here's what Jonah does. The Bible says he's in there and he gets right with God. Verse 3 says, You cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas. Your billows and your waves passed over me. Verse 6, I went down to the moorings of the mountains. The earth with its bars closed behind me, yet you have brought my life up from the pit, O Lord my God. And then in verse 9, salvation is from the Lord. Jonah, who is as good as dead, is saved in his physical life by God and his great fish. He gets right with the Lord. He realizes salvation is Giving uh, is given to us by the Lord. He accepts God's physical salvation for his life. And the Bible says in verse 10, So the Lord spoke to the fish and had vomited Jonah onto the dry ground. I wonder if any of you have been in disobedience running from God, from a call he's got on your life to missions, to serve in one of these ministries of your church, to maybe serve in a vocational role overseas or here in North America. You've been swallowed up by the agent of the Lord. Maybe today you need to repent, just like Jonah did. The Bible says as soon as he was spit up on the dry land, the Bible says that the word of the Lord in verse uh, 1 of chapter 3, the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time, saying, Some of you here have done all you can to disqualify yourself from hearing the voice of the Lord. But today, the Lord is coming to you a second time saying, I've got a job for you to do. He says, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and preach the message that I tell you. And so the Bible says in verse 3 of chapter 3 that Jonah went according to the word of the Lord. Let me tell you something. When God calls you to serve in some ministry, you don't come with a list of demands to tell the ministry leader, to tell the missions leader, to tell the pastor, here's how I'm going to do it. 
You do it according to the word of the Lord, just like Jonah did. The Bible says that he went to Nineveh, that exceedingly great city, verse 3, for a three-day journey in extent, and he began to enter city, uh, enter the city on the first day of the three days walk. And he cried out against it, yet forty days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. For three days, the prophet that was unwilling to go in the first place begins to preach. And what is his message? Is his message, you need to do life with people and kind of just, kind of just mosey around with them and get to God when you can. Is that his message? No. Is his message, God loves you and wants a wonderful plan, has a wonderful plan for your life? That's not his message, although God does love us and has plans for our lives. Look at his message. Yet 40 days, verse 4, yet 40 days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. It's a message of judgment. Some people have commented on the judgment of God in the book of Jonah. And they've said, really, there's no grace or mercy to be found in this book. But I contest that assertion. You see, the fact that he preached for three days was God's grace and mercy. Three days. And then he gave him another 40 days. Why in the world did he give him so many days? Because God is a gracious and merciful God. Jeremiah chapter 17 tells, or 18 verses 7 through 8 tells us, If a nation, when they hear about my judgment, repents, I will relent of the disaster that I have caused uh, to, to bring upon them. So he gives them 43 days and he preaches judgment. And guess what happens? Do they get mad at God? Do they think God is a mean God and they just rise up in their wickedness to be committing that even more against them? No, look at what the Bible says in verse 5. So, the people, having heard that in 40 days they and their city will be overthrown, they believed God and proclaimed a fast. In fact, in verse 6, the king of Nineveh, probably Ashtoran III, goes and look at what he says at the end of verse 8. Let everyone turn from his evil way and from the violence who is in his hand. Who can tell if God will turn and relent and turn away from his fierce anger so that we may not perish? The king, the evil, wicked king of Nineveh calls his people to repent. And look at the kind of repentance that he calls them to. It's not the kind of repentance that maybe you've made. It's not the kind of repentance that we've called others to make in our evangelism. You see, when we think of repentance today, turning away from sin, we think of it this way. There's a, there's a Latin term that lawyers use a lot. It's called quid pro quo. Anybody heard that before? Quid pro quo? For our Latin experts, that is just, a, if you hear that, if you hear a lawyer say that or something like that, quid pro quo means this, something for something. Many of us will say, I'll repent for God if God will do this for me. That's not what kind of repentance is practiced here by the king of Nineveh. He says, we don't know if God's going to relent of this judgment or not, but we need to repent of our wickedness. Has there been a time in your life where you repented of your sins not because of what could, God could give you or would give you, although he will give you salvation and forgiveness, but you repented because you could do nothing else but repent. You saw the 
the, the terribleness of your sin, the filthiness and the wickedness of your sin, that you said, I cannot go any further in this activity. I've got to turn away from my sin. That's what they did. And look at how God responds. Verse 10, then God saw their works, that they turned from their evil way, and God relented from the disaster that he said he would bring upon them, and he did not do it. The people repented, and God relented the judgment. They repented from the wickedness that would cause them judgment, and yet God turned from the judgment because of their wickedness. And you know what? God still does that today for any person who would trust in Jesus as his or her Savior, God will do the same thing for you. God turned from his wrath and anger. But what's interesting here is, although God turned from his wrath and anger, chapter 4 verse 1 says that Jonah turned to his anger. God turned away from, Jonah turned to. Look at what the Bible says in verse 1 of chapter 4. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he became angry. He was angry. Now listen, I don't know if any of you are called to the ministry or not, or preachers, but let me just say from one preacher to any others that may be in the, in the house tonight, today. A preacher's dream is to get a preach a three-day sermon. You don't have to be... By the way, you know what happens whenever a preacher takes his watch off and lays it down on the pulpit? Do you know what that means? Absolutely nothing, you know. But, uh, but many times we're always looking at the clock, but Jonah is able to preach a three-day sermon, not even having to look at his watch at all. And in fact, not only does he get to preach a long sermon, but everybody to whom he preaches responds in the way that God calls them to respond. I, I tell you what, I would be excited and happy about that. But the Bible says he's angry. You know why he's angry? Because something's eating him. I'm not talking about the fish. Something's eating him. What is eating Jonah? We find it in chapter 4, verse 2. Again, a man who professed to be owned by God. I'm a Hebrew and I fear the Lord God. He, profe- he, he, he uh, proclaimed orthodoxy about God. He said God is the great creator. He made the heavens and the earth. He said all the right things. He believed all the right things. In fact, in chapter 3, he also practiced obedience. He was doing what God called him to do. I want you to know that some of you here today claim to be owned by God. You claim to be a Christian. And probably, many. Uh, I, I, would, I would assume that the vast majority of you are. Many of you have amen when I talked about the Bible being true. You believe orthodoxy. You believe the right things about the Bible. Others of you are here. You're here today. You're practicing obedience just like Jonah. But something was missing in Jonah. He accommodated a sin in his life that was eating away at him. Why was Jonah angry? What was eating at Jonah? You know, some people have speculated and said, what was eating at Jonah was that he was a narrow-minded nationalist Jew. In other words, he only thought God's people were the Jews, and if the Assyrians were to come into God's favor, then that might make the Jews no longer God's people. But that's not at all what's eating at Jonah. Do you remember whenever he is in chapter 1, he's on the ship, and the mariners are afraid for their lives, and they say, how can we save our lives? Do you remember what he says? Throw me into the sea. Those mariners were Gentiles. So it's not that he's against the other nations. 
in general, it's that he's against the Assyrians in particular. Other people said, well, what was eating at Jonah was maybe not nationalism, but rather God had revealed to him that it would be Assyria that would wipe out the ten tribes, the ten northern tribes of Israel, leaving only the two southern tribes remaining. And that is altogether possible. God could have showed him that, but nowhere in the Bible does it say that he knew that. So I'm not willing to say that's what's eating Jonah. What's eating Jonah? Well, I think he confesses it in chapter 4, verse 2. Look at what the Bible says. So he prayed to the Lord and he said, Ah, Lord, was this not what I said when I was still in my country? Therefore I fled to Tarshish previously. For I know that you are a, what? Gracious and merciful God, slow to anger, abundant in loving kindness, one who relents from doing harm. Friends, that's what's eating Jonah. In the book of Jonah, we learn this about God. God loves wicked people and has done something about it. And every one of you should too. We call that today missions. God loves the wicked. He's done something about it. And so should you. You see, Jonah had it right. He belonged to God. Jonah had it right. What he preached was from God, according to God and his word. He obeyed God, but he did not adopt God's concern. And some of us are really good at being owned by God, being belonging to God. Some of us are really good at obeying God in all these other different ways. Others of us are really good at professing what is true doctrine. But do we have a disaffection of concern for wicked people. See, that's what was eating Jonah. The Assyrians did not deserve God's mercy, and yet God was going to help them out with it. The Bible says in verse 3, Jonah, who just a, two chapters previous was praying for God to save his life in the belly of the fish, he says, Lord, please take my life from me. It's better for me to die than to live. And the Lord says, is it right for you to be angry? So Jonah, the Bible says in verse 5, he goes out to the east part of the city and there he made himself a tabernacle, a little tent, a little lean-to as it were. And there he sat under the shade to see what might become of the city. He was hoping that his pity party, he was hoping that his bottom pouty lip was going to make God destroy them anyway. And so he waited on the east side of the city to see if God would indeed go ahead and carry out that judgment that he said he was going to carry out. Even though God had decided not to do that because of their repentance. The Bible says that God prepared a plant. Castor oil plant, a gourd, I don't know what your translation says, but some kind of plant life. And he made it come up over the tent that Jonah had built. That it might be shade to deliver him from his misery. And Jonah was very grateful for the plant. But the next morning dawned and God prepared a worm. And that worm ate away at that plant that caused him so much pleasure and comfort. And it happened that when the sun arose that God prepared a vehement east wind. And the sun beat down on Jonah's bald head. So that he grew faint and he wished for death for himself. And he said, dear God, it's better for me to die than to live. And God said, Jonah, is it right for you to be angry about that plant? And Jonah said, you bet it is, God. I'm angry about that plant. And look at what God says. You've had pity on the plant, verse 10. For which you've not labored, nor made it grow. 
It came up in a night and it perished in a night. And should I not pity? Should I not have concern? Should I not love Nineveh? That great city in which there are more than 120,000 persons who cannot discern their right hand between their left. You see, what's eating at Jonah is that God cares for the wicked, has done something about it. And you should too. I end my sermon today with just a couple of questions. Where is your Nineveh? A Nineveh is a place where wicked people are that you don't want them to have God's forgiveness and love. It might be a a group like Al-Qaeda or ISIS who are overseas doing wicked things. Maybe they're your Nineveh. Maybe it's a person that looks differently than you. They've got a different color skin. They speak a different language. Friends, whatever your Nineveh is, you need to get it right with the Lord today. Others of you have been hurt deeply by someone. A parent has divorced another parent. A spouse has divorced a spouse. Whatever it might be. Someone's made fun of you. And you know what? You can't stand that person for how mean they've been. But you know what? God loves them. And He doesn't justify what they've done. What they've done is wrong and they need to be punished for it. But you know what? Even they need God's forgiveness. Where's your Nineveh? Maybe you need to come to this altar and say, God, help my heart get right so that I can share your good news of forgiveness and grace to someone who doesn't deserve it. And God, by the way, thank you for giving it to me because I don't deserve it. I've got another question for you this morning. Have you adopted God's concern? Maybe you belong to God. Maybe you're a Christian. Maybe you obey God. Maybe you say all the right things about God, but your heart's not been pricked for missions. Maybe today God is calling some of you to begin the process of announcing to this congregation that God is calling you to be a missionary, a vocational missionary in some way. Maybe God is calling some of you to come up here, and whether it's CR or another ministry of this church, to come up and say, I need to get involved because God loves the wicked and has done something about it, and I need to as well. Others of you still have to give your mission commitment. And you, you, you say, well, I'll give it because I have to. But, but today, God has spoken to you because you realize you need to adopt God's concern for wicked people. And you can have a part in that by what you give in just a moment. Do you care like God cares for the wicked? And then finally, and then we're done. Will you accept God's sign through Jesus? Matthew chapter 12, verses 38 through 42. There were some Jews that came to Jesus one day. And they said, show us a sign. Show us a sign that you are who you say you are. And Jesus said, no sign will be given to this wicked and adulterous generation except for one. The sign of Jonah. And then he said this, just as Jonah was in the belly of the fish for three days and three nights, so shall the Son of Man, that's Jesus, be in the belly of the earth for three days and three nights. Some of you here today need to believe in the sign of Jonah Jesus Christ, who lived as God in the flesh, who died on Calvary's cross for your sin, was buried and for three days was in the belly of this earth. But because he was God's son, God raised him from the dead, and he lives today and wants to live in your heart and give you forgiveness. I wonder today, would you come? Our musicians are making their way to the front. Pastor Justin and other counselors are making their way to the front. We're going to sing a hymn of invitation. And I'm going to ask you today if you need to make a response today. I I ask you not to wait, but just go ahead as we begin singing. Would you go ahead and just come on down to the front and begin to do business with God as he calls us today 
to adopt God's concern. 